Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what's going on? Coach Luca back here with the Vigor Life Podcast. And um, today's guest, and this is a little bit different because I said, hey, we're never going to do this over a computer, but, you know, different times call for different different measures. But it actually makes me very, very happy because I don't know when is the next time that, you know, that, that this guest and, and my, my really good friend could actually be inside of Vigor Ground doing this podcast, um, which is a blessing. So uh, I, I would just want to welcome Eric Cressy. I'm, I'm really happy that I finally get you here on a podcast, man. So uh, thanks for, you know, thanks for jumping on right now. Thanks for having you and having me, I should say. And you're like, I, I, you can call me at any time. Like you are in the, the good, uh, good graces of my wife, Anna, forever. So <laughs> anytime Luca wants to call, Anna's like, yeah, take the call. No problem. So our, our, actually our, our youngest is in bed right now and our daughters are watching The Little Mermaid in the living room. So all is well on a Saturday night at 8 p.m. in a Christmas. Well, let's like, take advantage of this piece yeah, right now. While they we don't can. come often. Let's do it. Absolutely. And, and the thing is too, I mean, obviously, you know, the situation that we're in the industry is in and everything else is in is like, I, I can't skip, you know, talking about that. Cause I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that you got stuff on your mind, but what, you know, what I really wanted to do is actually kind of make this conversation. And it is a conversation cause I, I hate having like the 17 questions, Absolutely. you know, that's just always just, uh, you know, never goes, never, never, ne- you never kind of squeeze the juice out that way the best. And, um, but I did want to talk about like, almost like the, you know, principles. I wanted to keep this like a principle-based call, and for people to extract, I think things that have, you know, historically worked as far as like building a career. Um, and and that's, that's kind of like the first direction I'm going to go. But then also too, you know, the thoughts and insights of the gym biz and, and what the future looks like and the skill sets that need to be built so that, you know, that coaches and, and anybody in this industry can be successful. Um, and, so, and so my fir- my first thing that I wanted to to touch on before we even go into COVID and the shutdowns and things like that is, um, I think it was Steve Jobs that said, right, you can't connect the dots uh, looking forward, you can connect them looking backwards. And just, you know, for you, if you look backward, what were the dots that you can say from a principle based um, standpoint that have helped you, you know, get to where you are and, and be successful. And like I said, like that things that will continue to like be a, found, a, a quality and, and important foundation as, as we move forward in the industry. Yeah. I mean, I think you have, you have the, you know, the principles of, you know, how the body adapts and all that, but I think you also have principles of, you know, just how you go about your business. And when I, when I look back and like people ask, you know, how do you, I'm 38 now, like, how did you get to this position where you are? And like the one word that always comes back to, to me is sacrifice. You know, like I, I look back, I didn't spend a penny on alcohol in my college career. You know, that makes me very boring, I'm sure in hindsight, but you know, like going out and getting hammered on a weekend was never an option because I was working on Saturdays. Like, you know, I was also, you know, really, really competitive in powerlifting as, as I went through those processes and, you know, early on in my college career, I had some health problems. So I was working my way back. So just that part never appealed to me. And I look at what I saved financially, but also like what I gained in terms of getting a lot of those, you know, whether you believe in the 10,000 hours or, or not. And I got a lot of those at a young age because I, you know, I, I didn't, you know, there was, there was an opportunity cost to all of those things that could have been done. And I, I was fortunate to kind of take advantage of, I think, um, you know, some experiences at a young age to, to put me in a position to kind of jumpstart my career earlier on. And, you know, so I think that was a, you know, certainly a, 
a big one that I always come back to, but, you know, from a, from an actual like principles of training success, you know, I was, I think I was a little bit fortunate in the sense, like I didn't, I didn't mind memorizing the boring mundane stuff. And it may have been because I was, I was training people on a regular basis at such a young age. So, you know, I took gross anatomy during my undergraduate years. Like I was taking the anatomy, I was learning in cadaver lab and then I was going to the gym in the afternoon and I was training anybody that wanted to be trained. Um, so I think I, I shortened the learning loop a little bit on a lot of those things that maybe are, are mundane concepts to, to other like students back in the day, you know, that, that didn't necessarily have a chance to apply them right away. So I look back and those are, those are two things that I think have always sustained me that I understood anatomy, you know, and kind of the associated function at a young age. And I've been able to build on that. And that's where it's, you know, obviously been leveraged pretty well in a sport like baseball where pretty much everybody is broken and, you know, has underlying movement issues that need to constantly be addressed. And I, I want to piggyback on, actually the, the the second one first because doing the boring things and and studying anatomy and you know everything that if you if you shoot it out most people are like right but yeah. I, i'm very honestly fortunate because i met you a very long time ago and you know started following for the first time i heard about you was on t nation mm -hmm. it was probably the neanderthal no more article i think mm -hmm. um and i just kind of ate all that stuff up you know went through it then uh first time i met you was in Birmingham, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, in the UK. That's right. Yeah. I, I flew to, um, and I, for some reason, I don't know where I saw somewhere on Facebook, somebody did a podcast with Nick Grantham, and I was like, oh man, Nick Grantham, <laughs> I have you know, heard, heard about it for so yeah. long, but Nick's a great dude. And, and, and the, what was so cool about that was that, you know, I got all your products, all that stuff, but I, I always said, oh man, this, this guy's like really, really sharp and really smart. And so it, it became the standard. I was like, all right, I got to know the stuff that Eric knows, right? But that, what I'm really, really kind of glad is that that was the standard, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's not normal. Let, let's, yeah. no, it's, let's, it's be honest. let's be honest, like that's not normal. Yeah. It's far from normal, right? But, but to me, it was, you know, building the fish and athlete. I get all the anatomy books. You know, I'm like, man, I got to know this stuff, right? I can't be mm -hmm. caught not knowing this stuff. Um, and, but, but I think it is very, very, very important. There's, there's a couple of points here. I mean, one, that, you, you I, I do feel like you have a competitive advantage if you know those things um mm -hmm. and you know because you are more professional and I, I think more ethical right because yeah number one is you know do no harm obviously but also it's um you know you you kind of i think create a it's, it's this philosophy of collecting role models and having high standards and i you know talk about this at the gym all the time i'm like you know, when we do even group training classes and at the, sometimes at the beginning, people that have been at another gym will come to our gym and go like, man, you guys are like form Nazis, right? And they'll joke, they'll joke around yeah. and I always come back to you. And I say, I say, Hey, listen, like, I want to make sure that the standard is so high that when you mess up, you'll still be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you do two levels lower and you're fatigued and life is happening and whatever else is going on, you're going to have, I would say that wiggle room. Cause you did a hundred thousand reps yeah exceptionally well and i think it's the same thing when it comes to like i said the standards of of knowledge right learning these things and going hey i'm not gonna settle for four you know phases lower like i want to be the best at this and and so i'm I like you know i appreciate i'm grateful that uh, i met you and that, that you set the standard for me as far as like you know always wanting to drive to be the best at this stuff um and always learning it and never you know never going like ah, i know enough of this uh, so I, I certainly, you know, that's, that's number one, which connects back to sacrifice because 
I, you know, I learned sacrifice with, with basketball because it was mm-hmm. hours and hours a day of training, you know, from the age of 11, everybody goes on vacation. You're doing two a days, right? Yeah. Always sacrificing. And then when it, it but that also helped me going into, um, you know, once I did start coaching and we opened the jump for the gym in Slovenia, it went right into that. Okay. I'm going to yeah. sacrifice to, you know, to build this up. And, and it's, there's just no way around it. I, I think that, you know, you let me know if you know somebody that was like, you know, what, I'm going to be, I'm going to really figure this out and just yeah. do eight hour days while I'm opening up a gym. I mean, it, I, I haven't heard of one example in, you know, the 14 years that, that in some way, form or another, we ran a gym, whether it's Slovenia or here, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, it speaks to, you know, you always hear the stories about like, you know, look at the number of like former Navy SEALs who are now writing best-selling books on leadership and things like that is, you know, these, these tribulations, whether they're, you know, their challenges in the sporting world or challenge in the military involvement, anything like that, like they, they ultimately do prepare you for business. And, you know, I, I, I kind of joke with, you know, some of our athletes, it's that, you know, you have to, you know, the majority of your training sessions, they're going to be sixes and sevens, right? You know, you're going to, you're going to feel good. You're not going to like knock down the door to the gym, but you know, there be times where you come in, there's going to be an eight, maybe even a nine occasionally where you feel amazing and PR and all this stuff. There are going to be some, like some threes and fours where you're like, should I even come in today? Obviously like a one or a two is like, a, I'm sick and I should have even stepped into the gym. But I, I think what we have is, you know, maybe you or I have a couple of tens a year, if we're really lucky, where we like tap into that, you know, they're probably becoming fewer and far between, you know, as business gets crazier and, you know, you know, family responsibilities and travel and all this stuff. But I think one of the things that's really challenging is it's hard to make a really elite professional out of anybody that's never sniffed a seven. You know, I think we do have a lot of people that are like that nowadays. And I don't mean that like disparaging, like damn these millennials, but I think we are in a different world now. I don't think kids have changed. I think the circumstances surrounding them have changed. Like you think about it, like, you know, like in our, in the baseball world, like guys are, you know, you can get scouted on the internet now where you just basically throw pitches, put up the video and a college coaches contact you. And it's like, you don't realize that there's, there's 75 pitches they threw that weren't good, you know, that went over the backstop or they spiked in the dirt or whatever. So like, you know, there's an Instagram filter to make you look good when there's a bad picture taken of you. There's always something to prevent you from, from having those like really crappy outings. So you just get comfortable with somebody always being there to at least make you mediocre or make you look really good when you were mediocre. And, you know, very rarely are you, you're in a position where you're forced to have to like work really hard to, to find those crazy training sessions. And, you know, I look back even on like my powerlifting career, like the first year out of grad school, when I lived in Southern Connecticut, actually Tony Gentlecore and I were roommates there. And we lifted at Southside and then still mm. to this day, that was 2005 to 2006. It was the best training year of my life. You know, I, I rolled into Southside. I, you know, I was, I pulled 567 and a half at a body weight of 163, which at the time was like a, a junior record. It was my last meet in the juniors. And so it was, you know, a world record at that time. And I went and I just, I literally shut my mouth and I just loaded and unloaded plates and I trained around. And literally every Sunday morning, I was lifting alongside thousand pound squatters. Friday nights were max effort bench. Like my weekends were literally like, get my ass handed to me on Friday night, <laughs> try to recover on Saturday while I personally train some clients, then go back and do it all again on Sunday. Then there'd be two more during the week. And you know, I look back and my deadlift went from like 567 to 628 while staying in like the same weight class. Like that was, you know, a game changing experience for me just because like, you don't realize until you get into that environment that you, you never were, were sniffing. You thought that your, you know, your tens or excuse me, you thought that your sevens were actually tens and in reality they weren't. Um, so I think it just speaks to like, you got to get around really good people. that will push you and 
even like looking back, like early in my career, like my writing career, like I was around Joel Marion, you know, Joel's got a massively successful supplement company. I was around John Romanello, you know, Roman's, you know, had a New York Times bestseller. So like, you know, a lot of ways we push each other, I think on that side of things as well. So you just, you got to have really good peers to, to force you to get better and better. And, you know, I think that's why I've always enjoyed our conversations. Like every time we get together, whether it's, you know, with Anna and the girls or whether we're, you know, at a seminar that we're both speaking at or something like that, there's always, you know, pearls of wisdom that you share. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot of parallels between, you know, our businesses, even though they're on different sides of the country where, you know, you're always realizing like someone else is pushing the bar higher and, you know, in a friendly way, you're like, I, I gotta, I gotta keep up with Luca. He's, he's doing a great job, you know? And that's, I mean, that's a great point, but with that said, cause as soon as you started talking, I'm like, man, environment is so much and it's everything. Yeah. But, I mean, now today, I guess it's probably easier for both of us to, you know, think of, you know, we have a group of friends in the network. That's, that's really, really inspiring. You know, it's like, I want to, I want to learn, like I said, collecting role models, but now, you know, uh, those people, like yourself or like close friends, mm -hmm. but for a person that's, cause this is a question I get asked a lot. I'm sure that you do too. You know, how do you put yourself in that environment um, in, in a way where, whether you're just starting or, you know, you've been in the industry for some years, but to whether it's training, cause I mean, similar process and principles, but whether it's training or whether it's business, um, you know, what are some things that you found or you would recommend and mentor people to do to, to create this environment so that people that are like, man, I'm, I'm crushing it. And then they realize yeah. they're really, we're at a six, <laughs> you know, like, and you know, I, th I think it's, it's easier now than it was. And, and I'll give you the best example I possibly could. So I worked, um, you know, when I was first just getting into this industry, I mean, we're talking like 19 years old, you know, I basically had a mentor who took me under his wing with respect to training in my hometown. And it parlayed, you know, into being the guy who covered the desk from 7am to, you know, 2pm every Saturday. And, you know, that was, you know, cleaning that was helping members learn how to use equipment. It was like the most, you know, basic gym job you could possibly have, but it, you know, eventually those responsibilities get bigger and bigger. And, you know, there's, you know, you're handling payments and you're, you're updating program forms for people. Like it expands over the course of time, but I'll never forget. We actually had a, a PT clinic that was based in there one time. And I can remember one of the, uh, one of the physical therapists there was, you know, he, he was talking and this is probably 2003 to 2004, something like that. I was like, right when I was uh, actually earlier than that, sorry, about 2001. He's like, Hey, I, I'm thinking about applying for this internship with this guy named Mike Boyle. And I had no idea who he was. I mean, I, I lived, I lived in Kennebunk, Maine. That's that's an hour and 20 minutes from Mike's facility. Never heard of Mike. Um, so this is Oh one. Um, and you know, so it's just, it's a, in a, you know, sure enough, you know, five years later, four years later, I'm speaking on the same panel as Mike, you know, I'm talking about the results of my master's thesis from the university of Connecticut, but it just goes to show you, like, I, you know, I, I didn't send my first email until I got to my freshman year of college. And that was, you know, two years before that. So you just, the awareness uh, wasn't out there of what was actually there as an opportunity for us to network. Like if I had known, I could have gone to like, you know, down to boils and learned, you know, what he teaches his interns, or if there had been something like our internship available, I would have been all in, I would have dropped everything and moved there in a heartbeat. Um, we just didn't know about it. And nowadays it's totally different. Like you can direct message, you know, your, your role models and, you know, get a response. You can, you know, I do Instagram Q and A's all the time. So you can get your questions answered. There are so many opportunities. If you're willing to just travel a little bit to get amazing internship experience and all that, those just weren't there in the past. You, you did the internship, you know, I did one in cardiac and pulmonary rehab that was 20 minutes from campus. And I did another one at the gym in my hometown. Like, nowadays there's so much more prevalent so 
I never bought the idea of like, I can't find mentorship. Like you can find mentorship if you look for it, but more importantly, if you show an interest in, in, in putting in your, your part of the effort, you know? I think that that like, that's a great point. I think the same goes for knowledge, right? At this point in time, there's no way that somebody can go like, well, listen, I didn't have the resources because it's, so much of it is, you know, I take precision nutrition, even if you never did the, the, the certification, which I, I'm, I obviously highly recommend, but if you went and read their 1200 blog posts, you'd be really good at nutrition, nutrition coaching, yeah. right? Because if you go and re, if you go on Eric Cressy's site and read every article, like your knowledge is going to get so elevated. And if you apply it, like you're just going to become a lot better. So there's absolutely no reason that somebody can go, listen, I don't know how to create a video, edit it. I don't know how to, um, you know, set up a landing page. I mean, I, I'm not saying that you should be doing that, yeah. but there's absolutely no way that the, the knowledge component is missing or that you can't get access to it. Even if you don't, you know, uh, make so much, you know, it's like, I can't spend thousands. Well, you don't need to. Most of it is honestly for free. And, and part of our role is obviously doing that, right? Creating the content so that people can consume it and get value from it and kind of go down uh, deeper into the rabbit hole. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. But I just, I come back to it over and over again. Like, man, 2020, like it's, it's so much easier to find opportunity that was, it's a crowded space, right? So it's, it's harder to be, dis, it's harder to differentiate yourself, right? Everybody's got a blog, everybody's got an Instagram, you know, there's, there's a lot of noise, but if you're just trying to get a foot in the door, there are so many amazing opportunities now that weren't there in the past. And like, you know, that's why I never, I never, I never uh, lose what, like sleep about it when I give advice to somebody and they don't follow up on it. Like Ben Bruno always like, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's unnecessary, but Ben always gives me a lot of credit because like early on in his career, I was like, dude, you, you got a lot of good A's. You should write a blog. And he'd never thought about it. So he started writing a blog and, you know, I just kind of gave him some advice along the way, you know, in terms of like, Hey, try this in terms of how you structure it, how frequently you post and this, that, and the other. And, you know, eventually, you know, a larger audience started to see how good Ben was at what he did. And, you know, we've had other conversations. We talked about setting up SEP IRAs and things like that. But, you know, like Ben's always like, man, thanks so much for that advice. I'll be like, Ben, I'll be honest with you. I gave that advice to 500 people that year. <laughs> like you're just the one that busted your butt to, to actually like pursue it. And that's why you're successful. And, you know, to, to that note, because you say, I mean, obviously there's so much more white noise like what do you feel today like to break through the white noise because once again like it's easier you know you can pick up a phone and and, and i want to talk a little bit about you know your thoughts as far as like businesses being media platforms because i'm really big on that like that yeah. th to have people understand whether they're an individual or a business that they actually are a media platform but you know what would your advice be on that side of things is like hey how do you break through the noise whether you know like i said whether you maybe you're an established coach but you just haven't done a lot of media or you're just new in industry and like, hey, man, I, I want to get my name out there, and, but I don't want to, you know, get buried and drowned in, in that white noise and be like everybody else. Like, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's, it's multifactorial, right? Like, you know, to some degree, first off, it's, you got to have good content. Like you actually have to, you know, be in some way pushing the industry forward, whether it's, you know, either A, you know, I talk about four ways to get people attention, right? A, you can, you can be an innovator. You can be someone that comes up with new ideas. So when you hear about that, like you think about, you know, what Greg Cook did with FMS, right? What Mike Boyle has done with hockey training or sports training stuff, what we've done with baseball, you know, we've, we've brought these new concepts to the forefront. You can also be a translator, right? You know, so that's someone who, you know, if you look at like, um, like Posture Restoration Institute, right? Ron Ruska is brilliant. 
right? But Ron's not always the best teacher for a lot of his methodologies. You know, sometimes you're better off learning it from, you know, Mike Cantrell or, you know, James Anderson, one of his, his teachers who can disseminate that really well. Like that was like Dave Tiberio teaching some of Gary Gray's stuff. Like those guys were translators that, you know, that, you know, a lot of times they, they, they package things in a way that were more understandable. Um, you know, and then you could, you can be an entertainer, right? So like, look at like Tony Genocore, like I love Tony. There's not a whole lot of original ideas or content on his blog, but it's always, it's always entertaining, man. It's about something funny his kid did, or, you know, the silly thing someone at Whole Foods said to him as he bought 15 dozen eggs at a time or something like that. And then, you know, I've also talked about, you know, look at the you know, being relatable, right? So look at like what Girls Gone Strong have done. They've created community for people where, you know, you can recognize that there are other people that are going through the same struggles you are. So, you know, you can be successful in all of those different ways. Um, so, you know, that's the way to differentiate yourself. That's content-based, obviously. But I think the aside to that as well is, you know, how, do, how does the word get out? Um, and that's where the networking aspect of it is, is prominent like you know you get your foot in the door with the right people and all of a sudden you know you get a you know one article that goes viral or something like that so for me you know obviously t nation was really impactful in that regard early on you know i think i i did have some you know to some degree somewhat of a first mover advantage where you know i was i was writing newsletters in 2006 i've been writing blog posts you know since like 2012 I want to say. Um, so I was doing that stuff a long, long time ago. And I've been, I've been writing articles since I think my first one was published on Berardi's site in 2001. So I just, I have a 19 year head start and I always was just really consistent with putting content out there. So, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it works against you, right? Somebody goes back and finds something you wrote in 2007 that you don't really, you know, agree with what you talked about then, but you know, it's, it's out there forever. So it goes both ways, but you know, I, th I think you have to figure your, your unique voice out is, and if you're a 22 year old guy, who's just out of school, the chances of you really being impactful as an innovator are probably a lot lower. You know, you got to be like a salad chef, stick to the recipe for a little while before you start making up new recipes. That's, that's, that's a great analogy. And one that I use pretty much all the time when it comes to even training, right? Like when you do different training systems and you're like, man, these people are doing it great. Okay. Take the cookbook, you know, make the recipe from the cookbook and become excellent at that. Like yeah. down the line somewhere you can become, become a chef. Um, and it's also, so what, what do you think about on, on a side of like, for instance, when we talk about content, it has to be great on what skill sets, especially let's talk about now and in the future. I mean, I definitely have my thoughts on this, but you know, what are the skill sets do you feel are almost a requirement now? It's not even a, it would be good to have, but you must have these skill sets to be able to create good content and, you know, be a better marketer and a communicator. Like what, what do you feel are things that people should, you know, look into and, and I would say deliberately practice and not just mm -hmm. have it go by the wayside and like, Oh, it'd be, it'd be, you know, maybe I'll get to this, but like, no, you yeah, got to yeah. do it. This is required. Yeah. I, th I think, you know, this is, I don't want to sound like pretentious with this, but I'll, I'll tell you that 50 to 60% of the guest articles that are submitted for to have to run on my website it's more work for me to proofread and update it and make it user-friendly than it is for me to just write the article myself. Like it's crazy. It sounds like people, people, I'm not sure that people ever really wrote well if we're speaking in generalities, but in particular, I don't know if it's a, a generation of, you know, people who have just done text and emojis and things like that. Um, but you know, the art of just, you know, I, I don't know that we have a lot of people that have done like five paragraph essays or things like that, that were, you know, to me, important competencies early on. So the quality of writing, I think is big. And certainly if you're trying to 
um, you know, get published at a larger medium. Like, you know, I've talked to TC at T Nation and obviously, you know, mutual friends and, you know, Adam Bornstein and, you know, Adam Campbell who have been editors of large magazines. Like, you know, they've, they've, you know, jokingly talked about like some of the biggest names in the industry is like they have ghostwriters because the quality of contribution is just so low from a pure like writing standpoint. So I'll tell you, if you want to be an elite writer and make good living doing it, like make your editor's job easy like parallel construction, things like that are, are big, but, you know, also just like reading things aloud so that you understand like, ah, oh, there should be a comma there. Like it just, it can take a long, long time um, to, to, to edit things. So that one, I, I can't overstate enough. And I, I think the other thing is I always just come back to like, an article is not good unless there's an actionable strategy there, right? Like I can do random thought series, but each one of those random thoughts has some kind of guideline that, you know, that people can, you know, follow, whether it's, you know, a video that talks about a coaching cue that they haven't thought about before or an overarching programming theme, like, Hey, you might want to keep this in mind when you're working with an athlete who's 14 weeks post-op on the ACL. Like, and I think a lot of times that we get like kind of just, they just vomit a whole bunch of information, but they don't wrap it up in a, you know, you know, clear, concise way for the reader to actually be able to take it and say, you know what, this is what I need to do after reading this. So it's, you know, it's actually something that drove a decision as opposed to just eating up five minutes of their life. I'm going to, I'm going to try to, the things that I'm hearing and unpack them. <laughs> I can at least what's going through my filter. I mean, one of them is I actually think that, you know, just like you said, that writing has, uh, I think if you do it well right now, the value, the stock value has gone up because there's so much less quality writing. Um, and you know, the stuff that when I talk to a lot of the, uh, I would say coaches that have been in the industry for the last, you know, two, three years, maybe even five, very few will even ever bring up writing a blog, for instance, or writing in general articles, right? Everything is video, which I, I, I think yeah. video is very important and, you know, yeah. definitely a, a something people should do, but, you don't, I, I barely hear about it. I barely yeah. have somebody, hey, Luca, how do you know, get a blog or article here? Like nobody talks about it. But because of that, I actually feel that if you do write really well, the stock is going up. I still, I, yeah. you know, the, the really good blogs, I still read them and love to read them. I'll read your blog every yeah. time it comes out because people are like, oh, blogs are dead. No, they're not. They're just, it's just, there's more of it, which just means that the top ones are more valuable and the in-between is just white noise, you know? Yeah. Um, I do think they're, they're, they're falling off relative to what they used to be, right? For sure. Um, no, people, I mean, you know, people's attention spans are just shorter. Like the idea of me writing like a 7,000 word blog and thinking that it's going to be like this, this amazing evergreen content like it used to. I mean, maybe, maybe it would be if it's the right fit, but, you know, I, I just don't think that, I think that's the exception rather than the rule. Um, people, are, the, people are honed in on videos and they're honed in on... Um, you know, even just, you know, shorter, quick hitters that go with a picture on Instagram or something like that. For sure. I mean, that's an attention span thing. I, I, I will say yeah. also, I don't know if you found this, but, you know, I, I spent a, a lot of time, you know, writing to become, and I wrote a lot of blog posts and articles and things like that and kept getting better and thankfully had a lot of, uh, you know, people like Nate Green in my life who I'd send yeah. stuff to and go through it and give me feedback and, you know, kept getting better at it. But it made, like, writing better made me better at speaking. Um, because I would, I would write so that all of that writing would actually help me when I would get on camera, yeah. articulate things better. Um, so it, it was definitely connected. Now, you know, with that said, absolutely. That was my, my kind of shift to it being, uh, to video, but also, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing you say is that like, you have to treat that just like 
I don't know, to become a better coach and you're studying anatomy and you're studying the body and program design and coaching cues, external, internal, all these different, you know, communication, you also have to put, you know, a certain amount of focus and effort into building these skill sets that end up becoming, uh, like I said, you know, whether it's your marketing and your content creation, you, you can't, that's what I've seen too much of is that um, it's a side thing. So because, and, and it barely, you know, there's barely any attention paid to it. And because of that, you never really, really get good at it. You know, whether that's writing or whether that's video. Um, and I feel like people should take the time. I, I deliberately still to this day, spend time on a daily basis, getting better at the skill set of creating videos or writing or creating content. It's not just, I'm going to just make this happen. I actually have a blocked out time to go, how do I improve this? And I just don't feel like if I, you know, and, and we do that with our coaching clients too in business where we look at them and you look at their day and there's no time to become better at your craft. Yeah. Right. Everything is just like putting out fires or, you know, doing the work that you've scheduled with clients, but there's no time mapped out to actually get better. Mm -hmm. and, I, I, the time management aspect is something that it's, it's never taught in any curriculum. You know what I mean? Like you just, you don't get exposed to it. Um, and, and that's, that's something that's that needs to get addressed. I mean, there's obviously plenty of books about time management and things like that, but you know, you don't see it in business curriculum. You certainly don't see it in an exercise science curriculum. And like, that's, that for me is like the, the biggest part of whether or not I'm going to be successful. And obviously this, you know, the current situations have, have made it even more interesting when you've got kids who are homeschooled now and um, you know, they're, they're always racing into daddy's office when he's trying to get work done. So it's a different world now, but um, you know, it's, it's a lesson for, you know, it's just not easy to find this deep work that you, you need to be productive over the long term. And you, and you are, by the way, uh, for anybody that's listening, Eric's a savage when it comes to um, productivity. <laughs> I remember, I remember when you did the seminar in Seattle, uh, the shoulder seminar, mm -hmm. you were doing the launch and like locked yourself in a room for like two days. <laughs> I, yeah, actually my wife is an optometrist and as it happened, the American Academy of Optometry conference in 2000, uh, it was the fall of 13 was in Seattle. So I was like, you know what, I'll come out with you. I'm going to do this launch. So you can go to your courses all day and I'll just like sit in my hotel room and do it. I'm, Dave Rack was still at the University of Washington. So I yep. went over and I worked out with Dave and, um, you know, I got to hang out with you and stuff. So, but yeah, it was a, it was a crazy week. So I, <laughs> in my hotel room, but well, it was during the world series. So I was basically watching baseball and doing customer service and writing guest blogs. So <laughs> in hindsight, it was, it was actually planned out pretty well. I, I wish I had that, that level of like freedom nowadays to go and actually do that kind of stuff a little bit easier. I feel, I feel you on that one. Um, it's, but, but on, on that note, for sure. I, I think like if somebody's taking, I always like to, you know, when we do these, uh, these podcasts and interviews uh, almost, you know, if you're writing notes on this, like that, that should be something that you write down and like really assess your, how you spend your time. I continuously do that. And, um, for a number of reasons, because me and me and Farouj are always on, on top of this stuff and getting to each other, like how productive we are. And Craig Ballantyne tends to always poke me with that stuff. Um, but is, you know, just assessing my day and going like, Hey, like, what could I chop out here? Like, am I just bullshitting, you know, a, a bunch of the day and like, I'll reassess that pretty frequently to try to make, make sure that I improve it. Um, it's something I don't feel like enough people do, but it's very, very, very useful. Um, you know, assessment, or should I say awareness precedes change, but assessment precedes awareness. So we gotta, we gotta make sure we actually plug that in. Yeah. And I think it's like anything else too. It's a, it's a skill too, right. To find those, those moments of, of deep work. Like it's like anything else. If you, if you stop shooting hoops for, for six months, 
you know, and then you try to just lock back in and do it. It's, it takes some time. You get a little rusty with that stuff. So, um, you know, I know for me, like that, that, that's really a, a big focus is actually this, this kind of downtime, you know, that we're all dealing with right now has actually been eye opening in that regard, because you, you realize that it, you can very quickly fill your day and be very busy, but not necessarily very productive. Um, so that's, you know, this is the perfect time for me to, you know, go into quarantine, write a book that I've been putting off for years or something like that. And, um, you know, all of a sudden you, you just find these patches of 10 to 15 minutes where you get work done, but not, not the, the three hours that, you know, you need to really make some headway on something. Yeah. And, um, and that, that leads me to, I mean, I, this is, you know, talking to Pete, obviously, uh, yeah. definitely got some insights, but, um, just I like your thoughts of, you know, where we are right now, what this means. Cause, cause there's like, there's just things that, um, and, and I, I kind of want to question you a little bit later about, you know, as far as building a brand and positioning yeah. authority, but you know, what do you think that, you know, where we're moving right now, just like initial thoughts. And yeah. like I said, you can't, you know, all you can do is when it comes to, you know, moving forward is like gut, you know, gut, destiny, karma, whatever. It's just kind of like Steve Jobs said, you can look backwards and connect the dots, not necessarily forward, but you know, just based off of kind of your educated guess, some changes that are going to happen and some yeah. things that we need to be prepared for and, and just insights from, from your standpoint. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I think like probably a lot of people are, I'm, I'm going back and forth on, on two perspectives, like on, on one hand, like any business owner, you're like, shit, we were on time on track for like best year ever. We had so many good things going. Um, you know, like even like, the work I was doing with the Yankees, like we were doing some, some very progressive stuff and the feedback from our players have been excellent. And, you know, all of a sudden the world just kind of stops. So all that momentum you built up has, uh, you know, has, has obviously gone by the wayside. And I think that, you know, the frustration is also that, you know, like this is the time of year where actually a lot of times things quiet down for us. Like our, our baseball players all go in season and, you know, we have a chance to kind of, to some degree, take a little step back and, you know, enjoy the fruits of our labor. And instead it's been literally just like, get back to work even even harder to try to switch gears so that we can make payroll. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think there's, there's that side of things where you can, you can quickly fall into the woe is me camp. And um, you know, we texted about it a little bit today. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm officially over it. Like I, I've, I've hit my limit of yep, same here. Pe people complaining about everything imaginable. Like, and I, I'm trying really hard to have empathy for people, but I, I always come back to, um, and this is going to sound really just, it's not going to sound, I guess, empathetic. And I'm going to say it anyway, is just that if you ever started a business with the expectation that your government would bail you out, then I would argue you weren't in on entrepreneurship the right way from the get go. And the, and the reason I, I say that is not to be like disingenuous or not to, not to, like I said, be empathetic to the situations people are going through, because we're going through them too, obviously in different capacities. But, you know, I, I look at it and I, whenever you have a business that, that has a lot of employees, that has a, a lot of rent expenses, has a lot of utilities, has a lot of pre-incurred debt, whether that's small business loans or franchise fees, whatever it is, before you ever got to that position of vulnerability, there had to be profitability. Profitability precedes the vulnerability, right? If you're past that first year, there was some kind of growth that you worked to scale, right? So you know, you, you saw us in 2007, you were in our first facility. It was me, Pete and Tony. Like you walked into that place. It was grunge. Like you needed a tetanus shot if you went to the men's room, <laughs> but our rent was a thousand bucks. Like people don't know, like I invested all my life savings into that. And 
Pete worked for three grand a month. That, that was our agreement. You get three grand a month guaranteed payments. You make $36,000 a year until we break even on my investment. And then we go to like our percentage split on top of your three grand. And it worked out great. You know, we, we broke even at, you know, you know, really short amount of time. We expanded to another facility. We kept our staff the same size. We added one. So we went from 3,300 square feet to 6,600 square feet. A couple of years later, 7,600. Then we went 7,600 to 15,000. There was the big leap, but we got a good lease term on it, a really supportive landlord. But we grew stepwise. And every time we made a hire, we made sure we were at the point where we were like teaming, you know, where it was, it was, you know, getting really like uncomfortable for us to do our jobs because we were stretched almost to the max. And I think what we're seeing with a lot of the people right now who are struggling is A, they, they grew their staffs really fast. B, they grew their facilities really fast. And when you go bigger on the facility, your insurance cost goes up, your flooring expenses go up, your equipment needs go up, um, you know, your air conditioning or heat expenses go up, like everything goes sky high. And, you know, that's the thing that's really hard to get stuck underneath is an is a overpriced lease. Um, and I'm not sure that their revenues were ever as good as they thought they were. Right. You know, because you, you can show great growth, but not necessarily net. And you can figure out a way to make it work and say, oh, you know, success is just a couple months away. And I think we see that a lot in the industry. Um, I, I I know you do a lot of business consulting. You know, we run our mentorships. And when you actually look at the books at a lot of gyms, like they are not impressive. Like there's mm -hmm. there's a shocking amount of people in our industry that are that are making a thousand bucks a month. They're sleeping on a massage table. They're working, you know, split shifts. Like it's just they're, they're not in a pristine financial condition. They'd, they'd honestly probably be better off as employees at other gyms, um, you know, especially right now when, you know, in many cases they'd be able to file for unemployment. So like I say that not to be like to kick people when they're down. Cause I, I think that's a terrible thing to do, but I think it's important for a, if you're going to be successful in entrepreneurship, we always come like extreme ownership, right? I know it's a, you know, it's a book title and it's, a, you know, getting to be somewhat of a hackneyed expression now, but like you have to own it. If you're in this position where you have vulnerability and you don't have the cash flow to either make your rent or pay your staff or whatever it is, you're there because either you didn't make enough money to justify growing that big or you made the money and you're now not willing to spend it to take care of your people, you know, and, and that's where the leaders eat last mentality kind of has to come out. Um, you know, so I, I think that's a, that's a very important thing for us to, to consider. But I think also beyond that, you have to look back and be like, you know, maybe I didn't need four different kinds of leg curls. You know, maybe it was silly for me to drop nine grand on a leg press or something like that, because, you know, cash flow is king. And, you know, certainly in this industry and arguably in just about any industry, but, you know, we're, we're seeing like, I uh, just actually literally right before you get on the call, I read an article about how 24 hour fitness may be on the brink of bankruptcy. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And they talked about it. One of the reasons they, they got crushed on the, on the cheap end by planet fitness and they got crushed on the high end by Equinox. They lived in the, the middle of the road, you know, which we know historically has not been a great place to be in any industry. Um, and they weren't heavily differentiated, but they kept growing and growing and growing. So it's, it'll be interesting to see if we have more of those, you know, potentially flawed business models that do struggle, you know, as we move forward. But, you know, like I, I you got what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to sound non-sympathetic to, to what people are going through because it's a terrible time and it's a terrible time in a lot of different industries. But I, I just really, really hope that, you know, a lot of the people in this industry, and we will come out of it. And when they come out of it, I hope they see it as a learning opportunity. How do I protect myself? You know, how do I, how do I save a little bit better for a rainy day? Um, you know, and, that's, that's, that's something that, you know, we're, 
you know, certainly doing. And we're thinking about like, you know, what's, what's on the other side of this, where are the opportunities? Because, you know, there are a lot of people who right now are keeping cash and waiting and they know that Disney and Starbucks stocks aren't going to be terrible for forever. You know I mean? They're going to rebound at some point. So I think there are people that see this as there's going to be foreclosures. They're going to buy houses on the, on the cheap level with low interest rates. So it's, you know, there, there are a lot of people that are hemming and hawing about what a terrible situation is. And there are other people that are trying to find ways to, to see it as an opportunity and, you know, and learn from what's gotten us here. So, I mean, so many great points, which actually what, one of the things that uh, I had a note down here was, you know, what, what are the skill sets that people need to learn moving forward, which is what I think the skill set should be all along, which is just, you know, like understanding finances and, and really understanding, you know, what it takes to, to run a business like this. And I, you know, I can be completely yeah. honest that like for, from, you know, Vigor has been, uh, you know, they're much more profitable, I would say, uh, at different times, right. When we were coming up and mm-hmm. we've known each other for such a long time, we'd always have these conversations. Um, but you know, I would always, I would stack that, right. Like mm-hmm. knowing, well, for, for, for a number of reasons, one growth and investment. And my goal was always to, you know, buy commercial property so that there's yeah. equity and building that up. Um, but also for, you know, I mean, I, I don't think anybody expected that it would, would happen like this, yeah. but for times like this, and, you know, I, I don't know, I was talking for about a year back. I'm like, Hey, we've got to get ready for a recession. It's coming. And, you know, is it going to be a year or two years? We don't know, yeah. but it's coming. Didn't know it's going to be like this, but this yeah. is why you, you have to think about that mm-hmm. already ahead of time versus, you know, like the proactive, you know, proactive and preactive stuff versus the reactive stuff, which I think is happening now. And the last five to seven years, honestly, in the gym, like in the gym business, I think have been, you know, if you, if you got into the gym business in the last seven years, you, I mean, you came into the greatest probably time in history, right? Like social media ads were cheap as can be, uh, you know, softwares were very affordable. Um, you know, new stuff was coming up that like everybody had access to, and like, I know many people that grew their gym off of just one uh, medium, which was for instance, Facebook, right? Figured yeah. out Facebook ads, open one gym. Oh, great. We got this down, open another gym, open Right. But what are you doing? I mean, now you have much bigger liabilities, much bigger overheads and only one pole. That's really your main pole. And even as stuff started changing, like, you know, Facebook ads going to be three, four, five X, you know, the cost or even more. Um, you know, there was like, Oh crap, what do we do now? Right. Like we're not getting as many leads. They're more expensive leads that already created a strain, let alone something like this. And you don't have operations capital and savings and right. And, and these are things that are critical. If you're any type of small business owner, like you have to, you know, you have to think that the next thing is coming in two to three years and whatever it may be. And you have to be ready for it. And I, I you know, completely agree on that side of things. And and I get that, same, you know, same thing. Like I'm, I'm very empathetic to any business. I mean, honestly, probably even more so with restaurants because there's such a, you know, you're looking at a three to 7% margin, you yeah. know, when you look at restaurants and, and they have to get shut down. But the, you know, I think that the kind of definition of resilience, actually, at least my, at least my definition of resilience is, you know, taking hundred percent responsibility for, for your life and your business and, and everything in it. So if you want to be resilient, you, you gotta, you, you know, you can't point fingers, even if, you know, stuff isn't quote unquote fair, you got to shift that focus instantly to like, how, what, what am I learning? What am I, uh, yeah. you know, where are we going from here? How am I going to change stuff so that this doesn't repeat itself? Right. I mean, yeah. uh, and even beyond that, like, even if it isn't fair and it isn't right, it sucks. 
but is complaining on Facebook about it going to do anything? Um, like, you know, like you think about it, we, we have met people who, you know, it's funny. We have an amazing mental skills guy, Chad, with our, with the Yankees who, you know, has talked about like, you know, just basically how the best athletes in the world tune bad outings out. You know what I mean? Like they instantly just flip the switch and you, you see it when these guys are so mentally tough in the heat of competition stuff. It's like, all right, if you're an entrepreneur and things go bad, your first reaction is to go to, to Facebook and complain about it. Like that's, it's not going to solve anything. It's literally the worst thing you could possibly do because you're just wasting your time. Like the right action is to start figuring out how to make some damn money. You know, like how do you, how do you compensate your employees? How do you negotiate, you know, rent abatements with your landlord or, you know, basically try to, you know, shift some of those payments onto the, the tail end of your lease. Like there's, there's actionable strategies that make it better. But like, if you want to scroll through my Facebook feed right now, it's like, no, like it's just, emojis and you know complaining and stuff and like it's just not productive and i always i always come back to that like you know what are what, you have like a you know kind of a lucid thought process where you make um you know quick pivots you know and that's what entrepreneurship's all about and on, on that side like just on us you know because obviously what was the first thing that everybody talked about i was listening to um i can't remember which call it was but it was you know i think what the ceo of trainerize was saying and this was before at least before our gym actually got shut down uh, it was the week before, I think. They said that, you know, as as it was spreading that, um, you know, we got to start cleaning more and this, that, the other. Like their daily signups for Trainerize went from like 150 to 350 per day. And that wasn't even when, you know, stuff shut down, which I'm sure maybe now it's even higher um, because everybody and their mom, you know, started going online to, you know, online coaching and online apps and mm -hmm. all, all that different things. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on like where, you know, where that's going. I, I definitely have, you know, I definitely have my own on that one, but uh, I'd love to hear yours as far as like, hey, you know, online, more people are exposed to it for sure, but yeah. does it become more difficult? Like how, you know, how hard is it to get in now with, the, you know, not even just the US, but the whole world, you know, yeah. saying, oh, we got to get online. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I'll say this, like speaking from our own personal perspective, it's, it saved us because we, we've had online consulting available to be honest, since we opened in 2007 and I've done it in some capacity since 2003. And we've kind of refined the product over the years. But one of the things that we did was we, we only made it available to those who had first come to our facility to do an in-person consultation. Right. So, you know, a lot of the work I do with our pro guys, like, you know, like Blake Trinan plays for the Dodgers. He's one of our guys. Blake lives in Walla Walla, Washington. I'm in Jupiter, Florida. Like we're literally the exact opposite of, of the, the map. And, you know, I watched over him from afar since 2012. Um, so, you know, I think there's, we've had it in place for a while and I think we've always, we've always held it um, in such a high regard that we never wanted to make it just universally available. And so we had a chance to a bring people in to evaluate them, screen them, do some technique work with them so that we could really deliver a high quality individualized product from afar, you know, from that foundation we create. But I think B, we also wanted to prospect them, you know, like when that, that 16 year old kid came from California to get our programs, like we also wanted to make sure that his dad didn't do everything for him. Like that the email exchanges were going to be with the kid that he was going to be mature. Cause it's kind of like that game of telephone, right? Like that, that we want to make sure he's going to be communicating with, communicating with us so that, it, you know, nothing gets lost in the translation or anything like that. So, um, you know, that was, you know, kind of done in intentionally. And one of the things that we realized is that we had created some really strong systems with an extensive video database and, um, you know, kind of streamlined, you know, uh, stuff in the respect to, you know, educating clients on about how to onboard them. So it was actually a pretty quick pivot for us to make it available to larger audiences. So, you know, it's been something we've been able to add and, you know, make a, 
a good revenue on it now that you know obviously the world has changed and and certainly it's something now that will you know i think will be more uh, more willing to offer in the past when people have reached out for online consulting i would actually kind of punt i've, I've done it but i you know, kind of just keep it to my pro guys now. And, you know, if you select clients who have been with me a long time, so I would always just send it to our staff members and say, all right, do this on your own. And now we've kind of brought it underneath that umbrella and standardized it. So, you know, we have, um, you know, coaches that are specifically assigned to it. So it's, it's, you know, it's been something that it was kind of a blessing in the sense that all this stuff happened and it forced us to like make this more universally available. And I think it's something that'll make us stronger, you know, certainly on the tail end, but, you know, in the context of like the overall industry, I, yeah, there are people that, you know, that, that certainly take shortcuts with it, maybe don't offer, um, you know, the highest quality services, but there's, there's different tiers on everything, right? So, you know, if you're, if you're signing up for like a one size fits all workout on an app, like that's a lot different than what we're doing. You know, like literally right before I got on the call, I got a text from one of our, our big league guys who's in South Carolina, but he has access to his old high school gym. So, you know, he's going to get it completely individualized, distance-based program to work on in, in accordance with, you know, his baseball specific needs. So there's, there's a lot of extremes on it. You know, I think that the challenge is going to be when, you know, people start taking very general training programs and trying to apply them to specific circumstances, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm, and certainly like there are going to be scenarios where, you know, the, the random 47 year old woman who has, you know, two kids and, you know, wants to get in a 30 minute workout for fat loss during their, you know, their nap time, like, that might be a scenario where something a little bit more general is, is appropriate for us. I think you have to have those different price points and different offerings. But I think it still comes down to the same thing, right? The, the reason that people reach out to you, whether they can make, you know, and obviously some people will make the trip to, to the different facilities and train with you guys, uh, whether, you know, if they're in the area and they can train throughout the year, if they're, uh, you know, doing off season there, which is a bigger commitment, maybe if not, they're, they're still looking for, Cressy performance training and programs. And I, I think that's what's really important that, you know, building a brand and a name and a reason why people reach out to you. It's so important because once again, people go, oh, well, you know, now there's going to be more demand for online training, but why would anybody pick you? Right. Yeah. It, it, the question is still the same. Why would anybody yeah. pick your gym? Why would anybody reach out to you for online coaching? And I think that with this time and so many, many more people moving online, actually, you know, the supply probably does actually exceed the demand maybe. Um, no doubt. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, you're just lost in this red ocean essentially. And like, you know, the same things that I, I wish, at least the same principles that would make you stand out locally uh, would make you stand out, you know, I would say uh, nationally or in the state or the, for the people that can't train because the, one of the things that I noticed, you know, I, I I've done a lot of content for, for a long time and definitely went really, really hard on the video um, and haven't monetized any of it essentially, right? But, but definitely built like now the, the social media is really growing pretty damn fast on a lot of platforms. And, you know, without even creating any type of offer or ad or anything, like on a weekly basis, I get, you know, hey, do you do online coaching? Do you have an ebook? Yeah. Right, they reach out because of the value in the content and obviously creating mm -hmm. that brand. Absolutely. And so that's, I guess, my, my big point for, for, for people and like, you know, let me know what you think on this side of things, but you know, people probably like read your stuff and went like, damn, like this guy really knows his stuff. You know, I play baseball, boom, send an email to, to Eric. Hey, you know, is there any way that you can do online programming for me? Right. Probably mm -hmm. before maybe you even had it, you know, a tab yeah. or something to offer it. Like, absolutely. You know, but that's, I think it's really, really important to, to 
if you create an ad for your online coaching and there's, you haven't built up enough value and positioning and knowing and liking and trusting online, why would anybody reach out? Actually, it's probably going to be even harder. So the things that we've talked about like are so important, but you know, I, I, you know, just from the standpoint of when people do ask you that, like what's, what's some uh, advice that you give on that side of things, especially when it comes to online. Yeah. So one of the things I'll, I'll tell you, I've used this example at our business mentorships before you may have even heard it, but so let, let's imagine, so we're, we're in Jupiter here and then we're going to go back to Massachusetts at some point. Right. So we, we always fly JetBlue just because they got direct flights and we're frequent flyers and all that stuff. So we hop on JetBlue, right? And the, the flight attendant offers me a coffee. And I say, you know what? I'm, I'm good. And they serve Dunkin' Donuts, right? And we get off the plane in, in Boston. They got one of those little Dunkin' Donuts stands right next to the gate. I walk past, you know, I'm not feeling a coffee right now. And then, you know, we go, uh, you know, on the rental car shuttle, there's a little banner on the rental car shuttle that, you know, has an advertisement for Dunkin' Donuts. There's also a Dunkin' Donuts right next to the, the um, luggage claim. Um, so we do that. Then we get to the rental car place. We get in our car. We turn on the radio. Hey, there's a Dunkin' Donuts ad. And then we get on the Mass Pike, start driving west. We pass a Dunkin' Donuts billboard. You know, so you're, you're constantly exposed to it, right? So this, this law of repeated exposures. And I want to say in the past, it was something like seven exposures. If you didn't purchase a product or a service, you weren't going to purchase it. Those numbers were based on the fact that there was no such thing as a, as a smartphone, right? And now we have people that check their smartphones 120 times a day. Um, and it's, it's on another level. Like they have so many marketing messages that are constantly bombarding them. So, and I, I want to say that was, you may have been told me, or maybe it was in Rigsby's book that just talked about how few sales actually come on the first interaction between mm -hmm. a, a seller and a buyer. Like it was something like the average one takes, takes place between, it was like 80% takes place between interaction, like six and 12 or something like that. And I might just be making up numbers, but it was, the point was that people need to be exposed to a marketing message many, many times. So there's two things that I would say that are, are critical in that regard, right? So the first thing is you have to have top of mind awareness, right? And we've been fortunate, like when people say baseball strength conditioning, Cressy sports performance is top of mind awareness. It took a long time to get there. Part of it was, you know, first mover advantage where we kind of created that industry. But on top of that, we've been really, really consistent. You know, so we have word of mouth on our side. We have guys playing in every organization. You know, we have, we have former interns who are on staff and, you know, tons of organizations. So we have that on our side. Um, so I think that's the first one. But the other thing I think we do a good job of, and I didn't realize we did it until we were probably, you know, three or four years into business is we make our expertise easy to perceive, right? So you have clients, you know, let's, let's say I'm looking at, at, you know, I'm, I'm a dude who's been sitting at a computer for too long and I, I work in Seattle and I'm like, you know what, I need to start getting in shape. I'm going to start investigating options. You know, chances are I've got a coworker who worked out at Vigor and he raved about it, right? Um, so maybe that's enough for, to put me over. Maybe I see a Facebook ad, right? Or I see, you know, one of your like mobility circuits on Instagram and it blows me away. Or, you know, maybe I hear, hey, this guy, this guy's big time. You ran this amazing seminar up here. You got all these fitness authorities to come to Seattle. Maybe there's, maybe there's something to this, um, you know, or, you know, they're going to be people that really just they walk into your gym and they feel the vibe. They're like, you know what, this is, this is the place for me, right? You can, you can see that when like kids come in with their parents to check out our facility and they walk in and they see, you know, 10 big leaguers and the music's bumping. Like you hear the sound of like the ball hitting the catcher's mitt. Like our facility in Florida sells itself, you know, just as you walk in there, you're, you're surrounded by Cy Young award winners and all that. So like, I think there's, the, the point is that different people perceive expertise differently. Like I once had a, had a mother tell me that 
she knew I was the right strength coach for her son because she couldn't imagine that any other strength conditioning coach would use semicolons correctly. <laughs> she, 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 she had her own PR firm. She had read yeah, like, all my blogs. Yeah. Like, so, you know, reading, interpreting, like, you know, stuff, seeing news articles, all this stuff, everybody has some kind of like trigger that makes them fall in love with a product or a service. And I think it's up to us to make those, those things available consistently, but also make them high quality. Sometimes it's walking in and seeing a framed jersey at the facility or a, a news clipping that, you know, is out there. So, you know, some people want to come in and just talk to you, you know, especially if you're talking about like the parent of a kid that, that might train with you. Like they want to come in and know, like, this is a, this is a role model. This is someone I want to be around my son or daughter during their really impressionable times. So you gotta, you gotta be top of mind and you gotta give it, make it easy for them to perceive your expertise. Yeah, those are great points. It's funny because yesterday somebody came in um, and he's a firefighter actually, and but he came at Fitbar first time there. And then I was just upstairs like shooting a podcast. So I'm just walking down and the guy's like, oh, this is a gym? Oh, this is Vigor Ground. I heard about this place, right? <laughs> and uh, Erwin at Fitbar goes like, oh, well, that's the owner. You know, like you should talk to him. So I, I ended up, you know, chatting with him and he's like, yeah, I just tore my pec off the bone, you know? So I'm like, oh, dude, man, that's, that's about it. You're doing PT? So then PT conversations start. And the first thing, you know, I'm asking him some questions. I'm like, I think it'd be good if you go see Dan, you know? Mm -hmm. Here's, you know, this is what Dan does. He's the best. You know, I'm, I'm obviously good at pitching stuff as is. Then he goes like, man, you mind? I, and I was like, I know we're taking your time. You mind like showing us the gym? So I, I show him the gym, but I spent actually like probably about 30 to 40 minutes with them. And, um, you know, just our philosophy. And I, I just go into the pitch and I give him Dan's number. About 20 minutes later, he texts me and he says, hey, man, hit up, hit up Dan. Such a great guy. I already got a meeting with him. Uh, he's like, hey, I'm ready to sign up when you guys open the doors. Like, I'm ready to sign up. And my friend, too. And, you know, so there's a number of lessons there to, to me, you know, that every, every time I have some type of conversation like that, I try to reflect, like, what happened, what's going on, you know, kind of connect the dots moving backwards. And when I asked him, he said, yeah, a couple of my friends brought it up. And like, I've seen you guys on, on Facebook. I've seen your videos pop up a number of times and I like your stuff. So it means at least a couple of people mentioned it. You saw at least a couple of videos, walks in, is, you know, blown away by the gym. But the thing that, you know, also put over the top is, wow, like you took all this time to explain all this stuff to me, you know, and I'm asking questions about what's going on with his pec and surgery and all this different stuff. And, but Think about that as far as, okay, you know, ideal is face-to-face. -face. For me, always, I'd like, you know, I'm, I'm best face-to-face. -face. But if you can put a lot of those things on video, you know, and whether it's something that pulls somebody in, because somebody, you know, people will say, why do you do, you know, 33 mobility exercises, blah, right? But I'm like, yeah, but listen, like those get 200,000 views for free, you know, on, on Facebook. And then the person that watches that will go like, what else, you know, what else is there? And then they go, what, what else is there? And they'll see a 12 minute coaching video on something that's going to really help them out. Not, not, not everybody, right? Now, all of a sudden you're going down that kind of rabbit hole of building value. And um, this, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard about this little triangle, super simple concept, right? That there's, um, there's three things like how a simple process of how a client com comes to you, right? Step one is always curiosity right? They're, they're trying to figure out how to either survive or thrive. That's how the brain works. So curiosity, you know, for, I don't know, in your world, it might be, Hey, how to, you know, how to get back from Tommy John surgery and not have to have it again and, you know, be able to pitch faster and, you know, get back to training and not have that, that repeat itself. And any content that you had around that, that, you know, whether it was a headline, somebody that has 
Tommy John surgery was going to have to have it. That's curiosity, right? They're like, damn, how, how do I, you know, how do I make improve that? Let me, let me click on this. And then they read it and they go, Oh wow. Like, okay. I didn't know this stuff. So then they move from to step two, which is engagement. So now they go on your email list. They watch your videos. They go on your YouTube and maybe go, you know, consume 20 videos in a row. And at a certain point in time, there's a commitment. You ask them for a commitment, you know, whether at the end of the email or the blog, whatever else it may be. Like that's pretty much how everything works in a very yeah. simple way. Um, and for most people, like, what are you even doing? Number one, to, to get them to be curious enough. And then how are you developing that relationship through engagement? You know, and, and the thing is you got, like we live in a digital world now. So as much as I, I'm still a big fan of, speaking you know live and doing seminars here at the yeah. gym and lunch and learn. i still do a lot of that stuff and i think it's massively valuable but if i'm sleeping and while i sleep there's thousands of views on a video that i did like i mean that that does the work for me it just it just yeah. smart it's much um, more scalable absolutely and I, and I think that you know how did like for instance because you've done a lot of videos and a lot of speaking i mean do you any other advice on you know getting good at speaking and getting good on video besides actually just doing it no, <laughs> that's, that's literally <laughs> it. Like, I would love to say there is, um, I, I will tell you this. So one of the things we've, we've done, um, you know, with our fall seminars at our Massachusetts facilities, we've, we've run those, man, I think this was the ninth year that we've done it. So I think 2010 was the, the excuse me, it was actually 2012 was our first year. So it's probably the eighth year. But, um, one of the things that, that we do is we make sure that nobody can fail. And we, the reason they can't fail is they give their presentations so many times to each other that it, it's like clockwork. So, you know, this, usually the seminar is the end of September and I want them done with their presentation by like August 15th. And they literally deliver it to the internship classes. Our internship class rotates at the end of August into September. So they give it to two different internship classes. They badger each other. Like it's the goal is to like make it really, really fine tuned in that regard. Um, so you you practice it and you get really, really good at it because the the one thing it, it's one thing to get surprised when you look out and there's 150 people in the audience for the first time. Um, but you know, like you should never get surprised by your content. That's the one thing that you have control over and um, all that. I mean, I've I've talked in front of like it was like 7,000 people at the American Baseball Coaches Association convention and you know like once you, once you have like routines and, you know, I, I just can't remember the last time I, I woke up on the morning of presentation and was actually like nervous about it. To me, it's, it's just like coaching. So it just takes a long time to get there. I've been doing presentations in some capacity since, I don't know, 2005 when I defended my master's thesis. So you, it becomes second nature. It's just like dribbling a basketball or throwing a baseball or anything like that. You, you fall back on your preparation. And, um, Here's the thing that I actually really wanted to ask you because I'm always um, interested on, on the note. Because, man, like, I realized that when we have a conversation, we, like, I could legit talk to you for five hours, no problem. <laughs> and we'd be like, oh, shit, five hours away. Uh, but, or, like, what, what, I might share, like, some of the stuff that 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 does for me. Like, I'm always reading, I'm always studying stuff. But what is, like, either exciting you that that you're consuming in some way or what are you committed to improving as a skill set? You know, and then is it whether it's a course, whether it's a book, whether it's something on a coaching or training side of things. Um, I'd really like to, to me, that's always, you know, what are, yeah. what are you thinking about? Mm -hmm. That intrigues me. And, and why are you thinking about that and wanting to improve that? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, that we're fortunate to have is um, with the Yankees, um, we've actually developed some, some pretty incredible internal continuing education stuff. Um, and, and really one of my jobs, so my, my title is, is director of player health and performance. And, you know, effectively what that 
relates to is a big part of the role is to get everybody talking in the same room. Um, and so right at the start of spring training, um, I actually did, you know, basically a two day continuing education course, um, it was myself, our pitching coach, Matt Blake, we had, you know, basically some, some guest presenters, Dylan Lawson, one of our hitting coordinators, Sam Breen, our director of pitching. And the idea was we wanted to make it really readily apparent that it was, it was not just okay, but it was expected and encouraged that people from all different departments would, would you know, kind of like cross pollinate, like they work together. Um, so, you know, that means sports medicine, strength conditioning, nutrition, um, you know, our, our performance science, you know, also, you know, kind of a different term for sports science department. Um, we have mental skills and then obviously you have skill development, you have scouting both on the pro and the amateur side. There's just so many people that, you know, are all, you know, the, the goal is to win a world championship and to develop players and, and all of that. But, you know, you want to make sure that everybody is speaking the same language. So we, we created, you know, just kind of a two day continuing education event where we talked about that, that synergy and the feedback was really, really good. It's like, man, this is awesome. We got to all get in the same room more often. And it spawned this kind of online continuing education stuff that we do. So what's great is, you know, especially during a time like now, all of our staff can continue to get educated. So, you know, it's, it's hours and hours and hours, but what's cool is like, yeah, I upload a bunch of, you know, shoulder content and, you know, our pitching guys upload a lot of video analysis of pitching things they're looking at in different deliveries, key checkpoints, obviously the hitting guys do as well, but we actually have a, a, a quantitative analytics department as well. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much you follow baseball, but you can, you can investigate everything, you know, defensive range on a player, like, and you can critically evaluate just about everything that happens on a baseball field with, you know, basically what we have with stat casts and all that stuff. And what you realize a lot of time is, is a lot of the things that we look at, whether it's like framing metrics for a catcher or first step for an infielder, some of the range they, they display and all that stuff, it, it actually relates really heavily to how we train people. Um, the positions they're able to get to, their adaptability, you know, behind the plate, um, even, you know, certainly looking at, you know, basically defensive setups, how we teach sprint agility stuff. So I'm digging in actually really deep on, on quantitative analytics in the baseball world. Like I, <laughs> you'd be amazed at, at some of the stuff I've, I've kind of dug in on. It's been, been super fun to get into. And to be honest, what I can also see it is just as a coach, it's going to make me have even better conversations with our athletes, build even better rapport. Um, Cause I always just come back to, it. I remember Sam Fold um, was a close friend of mine. He's, you know, in the Philadelphia Phillies front office and Sam had a great career and, you know, went to Stanford before. And so he's a really sharp guy. And I always, I always ask him like, Hey, what allowed you to make such a quick transition to, you know, for not just from playing, but going directly to a pronounced front office role and being considered for, for managerial positions in baseball, you know, before he's even turned 30. And his answer was, he's like, I've always just been curious. And I think that's so important. It's kind of in line with the, you know, the book range that, that, that Epstein just, yeah. just released is like, you've got to be curious about a whole lot of things. Even if you don't think they're actually going to pan out, you have to, you have to pay attention to them and get educated them because eventually you're going to realize that you're just creating this broad foundation and, you're going to accidentally draw some parallel that's going to be a profound difference maker for you. So um, I'm, I'm definitely doing a lot in that vein, um, you know, and what's, you know, it's been cool also just sitting in a lot of the meetings in terms of, you know, how they evaluate players, how they project them out. And um, it's been cool to obviously do a lot of stuff with the high speed cameras as well, because we can see things that the naked eye can't see from a coaching standpoint. So, you know, I, I asked our director of baseball ops when I first got the job, I said, hey, what do you think the hardest part of this job is going to be for me? 
And he's like, without a doubt, it's, it's recognizing and utilizing just the sheer volume of resources we have. There's just so much information and, you know, finding it and using it and all that. And he, he was, he nailed it. Um, and the people have been great. The opportunity has been awesome. The athletes have been great, but you're, you're definitely navigating just this world of, of information. And it's been a really good growth experience for me. So I'm, I've had a lot of fun with that. That's a, that's a great insight. And, and one of the things that like I, I've loved about everything that I, I think one of the things that you did right that I'm kind of now, you know, being like, okay, I, I got to do this. And this is what we're working on is that, you know, when you develop something, you would then create some type of product uh, around it, which for the industry has been phenomenal, right? I mean, I mean, I've, I don't know how many times I've gone through every single thing that you've, you've put out, but a lot, it's <laughs> just put has been a lot. But I love that, right? Because it's like you develop the system in a way that you do stuff. And then you went like, hey, here's how we do it. And you were just talking about like this internal kind of curriculum and getting everybody to engage with it and share with it. And obviously it helps everybody. Um, that's what we're doing now with Vigor. I'm like, oh, well, you know, building a curriculum that, that can be used to, you know, help other coaches, but also it, like it helps us internally, new interns coming in, even our coaches that, you know, have been here for a while, but there's, there's so much stuff I've created, whether it's through videos and are now creating and organizing it in a structure where, you know, they can go in and learn and not only learn, but they can contribute to it. And I just, I, I wanted to bring that up because I feel like um, anybody that's in, shit, I mean, this industry, any other industry, the sooner that you start doing that, I feel like it can be such a valuable component to your business. Like even if you never made a dollar from it, mm -hmm. it would be massively valuable but you know what, what's happening is that if you do something really, really well and you do something excellent, there's going to be a ton of people, or at least a lot of people, that are going to want to see how you do things, and that becomes another revenue stream, and it becomes something that, you know, even in times like this, can become something that you can, you know, build a more solid foundation of a business, right? Because you have multiple revenue streams. So, I I encourage people. I did a whole call on this at the time and said, you got to, you know, whether it's you know, you, you have an extensive exercise library. I've shot, you know, hundreds of videos on it. I actually never released stuff, but now we will be. But it, it's, you know, putting in all that work and organizing it uh, has so much value that I'd encourage people to do it now. And, you know, I guess, like, what's your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, you did it. You, you obviously yeah. did it. But um, how valuable has that been for CSP? And, you know, what do you think? that fits in for others if you've ever talked to them, you know, whether, whether they're in a sports performance field or general, you know, general population, whatever it may be. The best way to learn is to teach like, you know, it, it, because when you have to create that lessons plan, whether it's, you know, writing a four phase program or writing a book that, you know, what's, I, I remember the Alan Cosgrove joke. He's like, what's the anatomy of every diet book. It's like chapter one, you've all been lied to chapter two. <laughs> that's, this is why this, why diets di different. And then chapters three through 10, here are some sample recipes. Like, you know, like just having to have a flow chart, like of how you, you know, basically convince someone of your, your side or teach um, to me is awesome. It's a, it's a great way to gather your thoughts. And um, you know, I, I'm not now I'm at the point now where like I can, I can roll out of bed. And if we have an 11 AM in service in, in Massachusetts, like I can do an entire lesson before 11 and deliver it from 11 to 12 with like a PowerPoint. And like, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. It, it creates like a lucid, you know, discussion for all of our staff to have on whatever it is we want to cover. So I think that it's like, it's like anything else, you know, it's a, it's a skill that has to be refined, but I do think it's, it's good because it forces you to organize your thoughts. Um, and always when you present, you get questions that, 
that make you, you know, they challenge you to defend your, your, your viewpoint to make sure that it's actually, you know, rational thought, but more importantly, they ask you questions that help you to make them better. Um, you know, and that's why like John O'Neill is, is one of my favorite people on the planet. He's our director of performance in Massachusetts. And John is, you know, one of the best I've ever seen at doing that. Like, you know, creating content because it stimulates discussion and, and learning amongst all our coaches. That's, that's phenomenal, man. And, I would, I'll finish off with this because I, I got like, well, you know what? This will set us up for another, for another podcast. Yeah. Anytime, man. Cause you got, Anna's, you got Anna's permission. Remember <laughs> <laughs> just texting her ahead of time. Hey, just let you know, man. Uh, another one late night. Um, but I, I'll, I'll first say for anybody that's listening. And if, if you guys have not followed Eric Cressy, like, you know, you're kind of crazy. Uh, so you have to start following, but I would highly encourage you like some of the best resources I would say in the industry if you want to become a better coach and like really elevate yourself, every product he's ever created. I mean, I could drop the names of them, but just go to ericcressy.com and check it out and definitely follow him on, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, you like, if you go through Eric's stuff and apply it, you, you will, uh, there's no way you're not going to be in the top, you know, five, 5% of the industry or 1% of the industry as far as, you know, coaching goes period. And, and I can't say enough about how much it's helped me in, in my career. Um, but if there's anything else, Eric, that like you, you know, you'd want to lead um, the audience to listen to, uh, or should I say, look at, see any products, anything that's, that's relevant right now, please, please share away. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, to me in this, like this current era, it's probably not the time for like self-promotion or that. Like I, I read a ton at ericcressy.com if they want to check it out and there's a podcast and newsletter and all that stuff. But I would say if I'm going to leave anybody with anything, it's like, I wish everybody well. You know, like it's a tough time for a lot of different people. And I know uh, people are going through some really tough times and, you know, hopefully we all come out better on the other side. But, um, you know, I, I think just if there's one thing I've learned about entrepreneurs, they tend to be pretty resilient people, um, you know, and I, I, I do have faith in that. So I hope, uh, hope everybody here stays strong and I, I wish people well as they come out of this because we're all, we're all fighting a good fight. Man, I couldn't, uh, can't thank you enough for this call. Appreciate you, my friend. As always, fire, and uh, we'll be chatting soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys tuning in. You could be anywhere else, but you're here. And um, I love and appreciate you for that. Now go do something with the information. Remember, every time something that, that hits you in the gut, something that was an aha moment, take some action on it. Even if it's the smallest step, just make sure you're moving forward. And I, will, I was, I was going to say I was going to see you, but you're going to hear me next time. Bigger Life Podcast. Peace out, my friends.